The most dangerous phrase that a preacher can say at the beginning of any sermon is this won't take very long. Uh, whenever a preacher says, this is not going to take very long, I don't have a long sermon today, I'm not going to talk for a long time today, you can almost be guaranteed you're in for a good 30 to 45 minute sermon, maybe even an hour. Matter of fact, the more references they give at the beginning of the sermon about how they're not going to talk long, you can just add another 5 to 10 minutes. For every time they say, I'm not going to talk long, you add another 5 to 10 minutes at the end of the sermon. It's the same thing with in closing. In closing means 15 more minutes. Every time they say in closing, especially if you grew up with a Baptist preacher, in closing, they're just going to keep going, keep going, keep going. Um, there's this great story in Acts chapter 20, and Luke gets in a little dig at Paul. And if you're familiar with it, Paul went and preached at the church. It was the first day of the week. Paul preached. He was going to leave the next day, so he preached until midnight. Somebody fell asleep and fell out the window. Luke describes it this way. Seated in the window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. <laughs> he fell out of the window, died. Paul went downstairs, raised him back to life, went back upstairs and preached for another six hours. I have no idea what Paul said at the beginning of that sermon, but he probably started with, no, I'm not going to go very long today. And um, when the preacher says that, you can just be guaranteed they're going to go a long time. So, that said, I'm not going to go very long today. <laughs> How can I? On this topic, how can I possibly go very long today? If to bring you up to speed, we're in a series called The Afterlife, What Happens When You Die. We've been talking about the final reality. So we've spent three weeks talking about heaven and hell. The final reality, like after judgment day, after the trumpet sounds, what happens in the final reality? Uh, we looked at four major passages on heaven, and that was just barely scratching the surface. There's a whole lot more we could have looked at. I read 12 or 15 different passages last week on hell, and that's just barely scratching the surface. There's a whole lot of more passages we could have looked at. Uh, today, we're talking about the intermediate heaven, and I got three verses, and, I, and that's it. I mean, that's really all we can talk about. But it's the one that everybody is the most curious about. You know why we're the most curious about it? Because it's the one we know the least amount about. The scripture's got all of this information about the final reality of heaven. But everybody wants to know, yeah, but what happens in between death and, and resurrection? Like what happens in between death and the new heavens and the new earth? I understand the new heavens and the new earth and that sounds amazing and that sounds awesome. But what happens now? Like what happens with, with loved ones who have passed what is happening with them now and what will happen with us now like in the in-between state? And this is known as the intermediate heaven or paradise or purgatory or Hades or kind of whatever you want. But it's, we're just going to call it the intermediate heaven. What happens in the intermediate heaven? I told the staff uh, Tuesday, like, this, I could make this the shortest sermon ever. I could just get up there and say, we don't know, but it's going to be awesome. So see you later. And uh, I'm not going to do that to you because I'm, I'm going I'm to give you just a little bit more meat than that. But that, that is going to be my final conclusion. <laughs> we, we know a little bit. We know a little bit more. I'm letting know. And it is going to be awesome. Um, first, let me deal with a couple of passages that I don't think are about the intermediate heaven. And one of those is the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And this is one that a lot of people go to and say, well, if you go to Luke chapter 16, uh, that's where you're going to find out about the intermediate heaven. This is a story that Jesus tells about a beggar named Lazarus who begged at the gate of a rich man every day. And uh, Lazarus dies, and he goes to the side of Abraham, which indicates heaven. 
and uh, the rich man dies, and he goes to Hades, and he's suffering there. And there's this great chasm between the rich man and Lazarus, and the rich man is begging Lazarus to please just like dip his finger in the water and touch his tongue so that he will have relief. And um, he, he wants a second chance. And Abraham says, no, you had your chance. And then he wants Lazarus to go warn his family. And Abraham says, they have the, the scriptures. They have the prophets and the law, and, and they're sufficiently warned. And um, I, I think, from everything I've read and studied about this, this, it's a parable. And a parable is a story with a point. A parable is intended to, to teach a specific point. So we can't use parables for other than the purpose that the, the one who told the parable intended to be used. In other words, if you put it this way, the parable of the sower is not about farming. Like, we don't go to the parable of the sower to learn proper farming techniques. It has a specific point. We don't go to the parable of the great banquet to learn about how to host a party. Uh, it has a specific point. We don't go to the parable of the prodigal son to learn about family dynamics. It, there's a specific point. So I don't think we go to the parable of the rich man Lazarus to learn about the intermediate heaven. There's a specific point. The specific point is uh, we should heed and obey the word of God, especially it relates to caring for the poor. That's, that's the point of the rich man Lazarus. The reason Jesus told the story was not to say, now sit down, I want to tell you about the intermediate heaven. He said, no, sit down, I want to tell you about the importance of obeying God's word as it relates to caring to the poor because there's eternal consequences for that. So that said, we can get an idea, though, of how people thought about the intermediate heaven in the time of Jesus. And there's two things we can kind of pull out of that. One of them is that it is a conscious experience. And the second one is that there is no second chance. Like there's not a, another chance after death to a chance for repentance. And um, that kind of goes against two of the popular myths about the intermediate state. One uh, is purgatory. Now, purgatory is a Catholic teaching that uh, after death, we go to this place called purgatory. It's more often associated with hell, but it's not necessarily that's what it's meant to be associated with. Purgatory is this place where we are further refined or, or purified of our sins. So we go to purgatory where we are purified from our sins before going to heaven. It's the temporary resting place of souls before they go to heaven where we're purified of our sins. Um, I, I don't think there's any such thing as purgatory. Like I, I, I just think that's... I don't think that's... Exist because I don't see it in Scripture. Of course, the parable of the rich man Lazarus seems to go against it as well. But I read an essay, actually, uh, about the existence of purgatory from a, a Protestant theologian who was trying to argue for the existence of purgatory. And in it, he deals with the central question that anybody has to ask when trying to determine if this is what the intermediate heaven is like. Uh, where's the biblical support for that? And I want to read you his answer. He says, but, you know, before we look in detail at a model of purgatory that's fully compatible with Protestant theology, let us then consider the question that will be asked by evangelicals and other Protestants, namely, where's the biblical support for this doctrine? Here's his answer. The forthright answer to this question, one that is often conceded by Roman Catholics as well, is that there is little explicit biblical support for the doctrine. All right. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for playing. Let's move on to the other alternatives. <laughs> I mean, it was like, he, did, they, he just admitted on the front end, like there's not a lot of biblical support for this doctrine. And so I, I think it's kind of one of the, the myths that's perpetuated about the intermediate heaven that, that is not there. The other thing uh, that we see, a second myth often associated with the intermediate state, is, is actually one that I find appealing. Like, I like this one. Uh, and it's uh, soul sleep. Now, some people, this really, really bothers, but uh, soul sleep is this idea that when we die, we, we sleep. I mean, we, we sleep in death. So when we die, 
you know, we sleep, it's an unconscious experience, and uh, people die at different times, i.e. people go to sleep at different times, but we're all going to wake up at the resurrection. So even though we may go to sleep at different times, we're all going to wake at the trumpet sound. So in essence, when you die, uh, the resurrection happens. Like when you die, there's the resurrection and there's judgment day. It's not this long period of waiting or anything like that. It's, so it's people go to sleep at different points and then they all wake up at the same time. I kind of find that appealing. I, don't, I just kind of like that. You know, I like that idea of like we all, we all wake up at the same time. It, the problem is, even though I like it, it, there's not any scriptural support for it either. So one of the places that people go for that is 1 Thessalonians 4. And Paul describes, you know, what happens when we die. And he says, you know, those who sleep in death will be resurrected first. And then those who are still alive and that kind of stuff. And in 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians 4, there's several places in scripture where sleep is used as a metaphor for death. So there's many, many places sleep is a metaphor for death. But really that's all it is. It's a metaphor, and you can only take metaphors so far. Metaphors aren't intended to say, this is literally what it's like. Death is literally like sleep, because that's what Jesus says. Um, Jesus actually used this metaphor with his disciples in regard to Lazarus. If you remember when Marvin taught us on that passage, uh, Jesus told his disciples, Lazarus is asleep, and I'm going to wake him up. And they were like, well, if he's asleep, won't he wake himself up? And Jesus goes, no, he's dead. Okay, I'm going, he's dead. I'm going to resurrect him. That's what, and so it's a, sleep is a metaphor, and that's, that's it. That's all we can really gather is it, it's, it's a metaphor for death. I think it's a metaphor that means death is temporary, but it's still, at the end of the day, just a metaphor. So, no purgatory, no soul sleep. What does the Bible say about the intermediate state? It says three things, three things. Let's look at them. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 7. Paul says, Therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. And we're confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Most people think Paul's talking about the intermediate heaven here. And he's teaching that when we die, our souls immediately go to be with God. And you, and you said, no, whoa, 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 what about the resurrection? I, I, thought, I thought we believed in a bodily resurrection. We do. That's the man who taught us about the bodily resurrection. In the first letter to the Corinthians, he said all about the bodily resurrection. So, so Paul believes that the body and soul will be reunited at a resurrection at the final judgment. But before that final judgment, our souls go immediately to be with God. So it is a conscious experience, and we are immediately uh, with God. That's all we know at that point. Uh, Philippians chapter 1. Verses 21 through 24, Paul says, For me, uh, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Again, this is the, the apostle who taught us a lot about the bodily resurrection. He's not denying the existence of bodily resurrection, but what he's talking about is this same concept that, that Paul believes that when we die, we are immediately united with Christ. So there's, there's not much that we know about the intermediate heaven. I can't give you a lot of details on it other than the fact that we are with God. And if we're with God, it's going to be pretty good. So that's that, that we're immediately with him. Uh, and again, this passage kind of, rules out purgatory, like we've gone through this period of waiting where we got to come, we immediately go to be with Christ if we die in Christ, and, and it rules out soul sleep where we're unconscious for a long period of time, we're immediately with Christ 
whatever that looks like. Um, and it fits what Jesus says. And here's the last verse on the intermediate heaven, which is actually my favorite. And you're familiar with it. This happened on the cross. Uh, the two criminals are hanging beside Jesus. One of them is insulting him, but the other criminal rebuked him and said, Don't you fear God, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And this is a promise of Jesus that on death, he will be with Jesus. You will be with me in paradise. So it, again, it's a conscious experience. It, you're with Christ, and uh, it's going to be great. Jesus calls it paradise. And to me, that's all you really need to know about the intermediate heaven. If Jesus thinks it's paradise, i got to think it's going to be pretty good. <laughs> I, I can't, like, I, I really wish that I could describe to you, and there's some authors that have tried to do it, and I think they reach too far. Uh, one of them is an author that I've, I won't mention his name, but I've used his books for these, these, this series, and I'm like, you're just reaching too far because we're trying to describe things that we don't really know the answer to. And they're like, well, what's it going to be like? What will life be like in the intermediate heaven? And will there be a body? And if there's not a body and it's just a soul, well, what is that like? And will we, will we remember our life upon earth? Will there be memories? Are our, our loved ones looking down on us? We hear that kind of terminology used all the time. We're like, will you, will you be aware of your life on earth? And what will time be like? Will the passage of time be slow? Are, are they waiting for Jesus to return? Are they waiting for the final judgment? Or is the passage of time quick for the Lord? A, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. So... What if there's no time in the intermediate heaven? I mean, there's, there's literally no time. So between death and the resurrection is, is that. I don't know. I don't know the answer to, to any of those questions. I can't, can't possibly answer. All I can answer you for is what the scriptures say. And what the scriptures say is that when we die, we immediately go to be with God. And it's paradise. That's all we know. And, and really, at the end of the day... That's all we need to know. Jesus thinks it's paradise. And, and we immediately go to be with him in his paradise. Uh, my favorite verse, I told you there was only three verses. I actually did find one more. And it, Paul's actually not writing specifically about the intermediate heaven. I'm, I'm kind of stealing his verse to say, man, doesn't this fit? It's uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, in which Paul says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And that's the best description of the intermediate heaven I can give you. That's actually the best description of heaven that I can give you. That no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So think of your best description of heaven. Just come up with it right now. Like I, I showed a bunch of pictures on my phone. That may not be your best description of heaven. You're like, fishing in heaven, really? <laughs> I don't want to do that. Or softball, or whatever. Just think of your favorite. Like if you could design the perfect eternity, like for all eternity, this would be the perfect experience. This is what, this would be the absolute most beautiful thing that I could possibly design. So come up with that description in your mind. And what the Bible tells us is, God's got something even better in store than that. Even better than you can think of. God's got something in better store. That's the intermediate heaven. It's going to be incredible. And it's going to be with Christ. So if we have loved ones who have passed on, we can be assured that they are with Christ. And they are, whatever the experience is, it's paradise. And we can be assured that when we die, we will go to be with Christ. 
And whatever the experience is, it's paradise. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for, um, for what, the, what the Bible says. And I, and I realize in thanking you for that, you're prob- um, it's an impossible task to describe to us what you've prepared for us. Because our human minds are way too limited. Uh, we're limited in the way we think about time. We're limited in the way we think about space. We're limited even in the way we think about what is good and what is beautiful and what is paradise. And um, the possibilities are just endless. Um, because you are an infinite God. Infinite in power. Infinite in love. And you promise us that you have prepared a place for us. And we cling to those promises. And we thank you for those promises. And we thank you, because of your son Jesus, we are able to, to have the promise of eternal life. I thank you for these things. In the name of your son Jesus. Amen. All right. Next Sunday, we're not going to be done yet. i got to introduce some seniors to you. But next Sunday, uh, Ebony will be... Wrapping up this series, it's actually turned out to be the second to last because I can't stop a good series. And so we're going we're gonna to go one more Sunday. But uh, Ebony's going to close with like, how should we live in response to all of this? In response to all this incredible stuff that the Bible promises us about eternal life, how should we live today? What does that look like? And so Ebony will be preaching that next Sunday. And then I'm going to do a follow-up message on just questions and answers about the afterlife. And I need your help for this one. I've got about seven or eight that you've sent me, but if you will email me, Message me, um, put it on social media or something. Just let me know, like, but what about this? What about this? What does the Bible say about this? What is that like? And I'm just going to try to to answer as many questions as as I can. And uh, yes, the answer to most of them be I don't know, but uh, I'm gonna, I'm going to try my hardest. Okay, I'll try my hardest to dig in there and, and find out what I can find out for you. So send me your questions. Um, today is the the 22nd. We put this down as a Senior Sunday. Oh, you know what? Before we get to Senior Sunday. Uh, is there a giving slide in there somewhere? I always forget giving. You realize, was it last Sunday that I forgot giving in this service? It was last Sunday or two Sundays ago. I don't remember when it was. You know what? That was, our, that was like the, the best giving we had had in, in like two months. And so I'm like, maybe I need to stop mentioning it and just, just trust God it's going to happen. But anyway, um, just remember that because we're going we're gonna to close with a prayer for our seniors. So remember the giving. You guys know how to do it and you know where all the stuff is. Oh, there's the stuff right there. All right, now I'm done talking about it. You can go back to the senior slide, Ty. Um, we wanted to recognize our graduating seniors today. There's been a lot of graduations over the last week or so. And uh, we do this, this really cool thing. Todd does something called Senior Sunday with our student ministry. It, it is the most moving thing I see every, I mean, it's just incredible because what he does is he talks about, and it's a smaller group, so it's a little bit, you know, a little bit different setting, but he talks about every one of our seniors, uh, the, the, the underclassmen read a prophecy about them, and there's gifts for them, and there's like a, there's a nice gift and a goofy gift, and my kids still have the goofy gift. I don't know where the nice gifts are, but like, there's still a pinata in Lily's room and stuff like that. So, um, it's, it's a really, really cool thing, and what we were going to do this morning was, like, recognize the seniors in our service this morning, and then we would have Senior Sunday this evening, but they've all graduated, and they're all out of town, <laughs> like they all, a lot of them, we got some of them here today, but a lot of them headed out as soon as graduation was over, and so we're going to do Senior Sunday two or three weeks out, but we wanted to go ahead and recognize them in here today, 
And so, and, and it's a simple recognition. We're not going to ask them to stand. We're not going to ask you to come down front or anything like that. Uh, you know, you, we're just, we just want to recognize who our seniors are so that you can be mindful of them and be praying for them. I've got a, just a brief passage of scripture I want to read, and we'll, we'll, uh, and we'll have a prayer over them at the end of this service. So uh, I got 19 of them. <laughs> okay, so let's look at these, uh, at who all these folks are, and then, we, I'm, again, I'm not going to try to figure out who's in what service and all that kind of stuff, and we'll applaud for them all at the end, but these are our seniors. We've got Amy Blackston. Um, she's the daughter of Danny and Rachel Blackston, graduating from Summertown High School, and I want you to notice as we go through these, all the different schools represented here. I think this is cool. Eden Carnahan is the daughter of John and Carol Carnahan, graduating from Columbia Academy. They had their graduation yesterday, I believe. Uh, Ann Coltis, uh, daughter of Sally and Kenneth Coltis, graduating from Lawrence County High School. Uh, Rachel Inslee, the daughter of uh, Jennifer and Ben Inslee. She's graduating from Columbia Central High School. I don't think we've repeated a school yet. Um, Connor Henson, uh, the son of Jamie and Brady Henson. He's graduating from Columbia Academy. Jackson Hughes, that's the son of Stephen and Rachel Hughes, and he graduated from Zion Christian Academy. Will Jackson, uh, son of Brandon and Stacy Jackson, he graduated from Columbia Academy yesterday. I want to tell you like where all these kids are going to school because I know about half of them, but I can't get into that because I don't know the other half. <laughs> but um, John Michael King, he's the son of Jonifer and uh, Chris Hicks, and graduated from Zion Christian Academy. Cannon Lansdell, uh, son of Emily and Charlie Lansdell, graduate from Columbia Academy. Nathan McPherson, that's the son of Gus and Dovey McPherson, graduated from Zion Christian Academy. Logan Mayo, the son of William and Anna Mayo, graduated from Zion Christian Academy. One of the cool things about our youth group, too, that I'll mention real quick is a lot of these students are also active at other churches, like active as other youth groups, and I think that's kind of cool. Uh, they have the opportunity to participate. So some of them, their family may attend another church, and they participate with us on Wednesday night. We actually have like two or three youth groups going right now. We've got a, a different group of kids on Wednesday night that we do on Sunday night, and it's, it's cool to see that. Uh, Bryant McCullum, that's the son of Stephen and Lucretia McCullum, and it graduated from Zion Christian Academy. Uh, Mariah Malikian, and if, if Tim was not on staff, that would be the name that would trip me up, but I've learned how to say it over the years, Mariah Malikian, and that's uh, the daughter of Tim and Cindy Malikian, and she graduated from Columbia Central High School. Josie Parks, uh, the daughter of uh, David and Amy Parks, graduated from Columbia Central High School. Several of these kids have signed scholarships, too. I, I, again, I just want to tell you what they're doing, but I'm, I'm trying to avoid it. Uh, Kennedy Pollard, that's the daughter of John and Lynn Pollard, and uh, she graduated from Columbia Academy. Sonny Quinn, uh, it's the son of Kevin and Tammy Quinn, and graduated from Columbia Central High School. Thomas Skelly, that's the son of Chad and, and Gaynell Howe. And he graduated from Kalioka High School. Brady Thurman, saw that baptism earlier. Uh, the son of Billy and Cammie Thurman. And he graduated from Columbia Academy. 
Madison Veneer. That's the daughter of Tiffany and Dan Veneer. She graduated from Cullioca High School. And Ava Zintak. And that's the daughter of Dave and Cindy Zintak. You saw that baptism earlier as well. And she graduated from Columbia Academy. Zintak's got to be my last one, right, Ty? Okay, that's our graduates. Would you give a round of applause for those 19 graduates? It's so cool. I'll just let you ask them individually what they're doing because we got kids going to run track at Harding and going to play basketball at Union. And uh, one of them's going to the University of Glasgow in Scotland. So, I mean, there's a lot of really, really cool things that are, that are going on there. But we want to congratulate those graduates. I also want you to congratulate one other group of people, and that's their mamas and daddies. So, congratulate the mamas and daddies. And graduation is this weird thing. The moms and daddies cry all through it, and the kids are, like, excited about it and get me out of here, and I can't wait. But it's, uh, it's, this, it's this phase of life that we this moment, this milestone that we reach and moving on to these things. And I, I wanted to, to read a passage of Scripture to you, and I wanted to do like a charge to the graduates kind of thing, but I, the one I've landed on was something that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, and it, I don't know that this was at all your graduation ceremonies. This is probably not the one that people chose to read. Uh, it's probably not the one that you think of, but I just know that this, this time of life, there's a lot of pressure because for the last six months, everybody you have run into has asked you, what are you going to do? 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 And for the next four years, everybody you run into is going to ask you two questions. How's, how's, how's school going or how's work going? And uh, what are you going to do? 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 And so there's this tremendous pressure when you're 18 years old to decide what you're going to do with the rest of your life. And uh, I'll just encourage you to resist that pressure because I was going to be a veterinarian, and here I stand. Um, it was anatomy got me. Um, this is what Jesus says, and this is my word to the graduates. And then, uh, Todd, where are you? Are you going to pray for them? Okay. Our student minister, Todd, will, will pray for our graduates after this. But this is my word to the graduates. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink or about your body or what you wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. It's not life more than you know, fill in the blank for all the worries and anxieties we have. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow that do not labor or spin? Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of their splendor was dressed as one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, how much will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Or what am I going to do with my life? Or what kind of job am I going to have? Or what kind of career? Or who am I going to marry? Or where am I going to live? Where I, don't worry. Don't worry about those things. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So, Todd, would you come up and lead us in a word of prayer for these graduates? 
I have to use that mic right there. Is this on? Oh, it is. God, uh, we just come before you this morning and just want to ask for something very specific. And that is that as these graduates move on to the next stage of life, wherever it is, whatever it is, that you surround them with your people. Surround them with good friends. Um, because that will determine the quality and direction of their life. God, it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. If you are encouraged by today's talk, feel free to share it with your friends. Please also consider rating and subscribing on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please visit us online at murrayhills.com.